SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, resuming an annual tradition that we seem to have on the site now, which is the NFL Draft Preview Mega Episode, where uh, myself, Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry, uh, are joined by our American Conference crew in Dan Morrison and Joe Broback. Uh, super excited to have you guys on and uh, actually see you all in a camera with your faces it's amazing <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's nice to see some faces put the face to the voice <laughs> and but, i know it's disappointing when you see it right <laughs> joe broback i am i am sufficiently wearing sleeves and that may be too inside of a joke for this oh, podcast do, do i need to do i need to like roll my yes, sleeves up yeah, 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 I, you know yeah. i don't know I That's think a, the three of us could combine for the uh, ra- the uh, diameter to of your arms. So I don't know. I just, I don't know what the I don't, do. I do. I take my shirt off. Do I? I don't know what to do here. I listen, sir. I, I'm I keep my shirt on. Let's not make it seem like I'm just running around Tampa. Oh, does it really count as a shirt if it's like you know, there's more arms than than shirt? I don't know. Like what what does really count as having a shirt on? I don't know. I I am a proud Florida man. Like if you really want me to go shirtless, I can show you. Like, like, <laughs> right. But I, I will I will spare the rest of the uh, audience here. Uh, really quick to bring up everyone else inside that's kind of an inside joke from another podcast that uh throwback frequently makes an appearance on but uh yes yeah, nice to see everyone's face and uh finally see uh dan morrison has been you know doing phenomenal work for the site gonna thank him publicly for all of his contributions thank you sir and uh you know it's nice to have you on and meet you in this virtual space of 2021 absolutely i'm just glad to be here glad to be included for once you know nice in the circle of friends so you know it's all good you're you're always included here, so you don't have to yeah. worry about that. Uh, Joe, what you uh, what, you what a time to make your there? debut too. You got to see Eric threaten to take his shirt off ten seconds into the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, usually I only guess. occurs between the hours of one thirty and two thirty, and yeah. you know bars around Hillsborough County. But hey, uh, yeah, at first into the shallow end. Here we go. Do we just end the episode now? I think that's good content right there. <laughs> this is the second time I'm going to have to say this. I hope Caroline Darney is not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nah. But I mean, guys, looking ahead to uh, this week's NFL draft, um, one thing I want to touch on off the bat. When you look at the top five picks, it's conceivable that we'll have two quarterbacks from outside the P5 get taken in those slots with Zach Wilson from BYU and uh, Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Um, Obviously not that common to see two quarterbacks from that category reach the top five, but uh, from everything that I've seen about Zach Wilson, especially like this kid is NFL ready. I don't know if you guys have any opinion on those two, those two cats. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to see, you know, Zach Wilson obviously wasn't high on a ton of people's radars coming into 2020 and now, knock on wood, they they didn't exactly play their normal schedule. They played against a little bit weaker competition, you could say. But at the same time, like if you look at the throws that he's making, they're NFL throws. Like you can't really deny that. It doesn't really matter who you're playing against. Like he can make make all those throws. And then Trey Lance is another guy. You know, NDSU obviously is the one F- FCS team I think everybody knows. And that's like, if someone's like, Hey, you want to talk FCS football? Be like, Oh, well, if it's not NDSU, then I don't really know. But you know, he's a guy who didn't have any offers from the FBS level and 
you know, he's molded himself into a potential top five pick. Will that happen? It kind of depends on who you ask. Cause then when you throw Justin Fields in there and that, I don't know what's going on with that. Why all of a sudden we're just trying to trash him, but those are four, you know, with Trevor Lawrence, those are four solid quarterbacks, but it is nice to see kind of uh new teams in the, you know, not, not the power five normal teams that you guys see there. Um, so it's nice to see some of those smaller schools get recognized. Uh, I'll jump in next and just say this really quickly. I mean, I, I kind of have, and I'm not, you know, trying to poo-poo on any of those guys, personally speaking, but um, Trey Lance, I, I, you know, Broback, I don't know how you feel about this. I know we talk, you know, quarterbacks off air and on different podcasts, but physically he's got all the tools, right? I mean, you know, he looks the part of quarterback. One of the things that's always frustrated me about the draft, and it's why I'm probably not a huge draft guy to begin with. And, and first off, I appreciate smaller schools. And, and I hate the fact that, you know, we tend to focus on the top five or top 10 players who tend to come from those bigger name schools. But in the second part of it with referring to Trey Lance is that inevitably we just push quarterbacks up, right? It's like, I understand that probably half of the NFL does not have their franchise guy, but I'm like, why do we just have to, you know, push four and five and six quarterbacks into the first round when in actuality, probably only two or three of those guys really are deserving of that slot. So that's just kind of, and I, like I said, I'm not trying to just, you know, take a, a, you know, crap on Trey Lance, but it just seems as if like, come on, you can go back and do the math on this. And I kind of wish I had prior to this podcast out of five or six quarterbacks or drafting the first round every year, you're going to get two tops who are really going to be worth it. So that's just kind of my feelings on him and kind of the same with Zach Wilson as well. I, I know I said a lot there, so I'll let you, you know, fine. Well, yeah, I think like, even if you look at Carson Wentz, that whole situation, like feel, and here's the thing, I'll agree with you that, Leading up to the draft, I I don't like because it's like everybody's just trying to get a takeout. And, you know, this whole thing with Justin Fields, people are starting to say that he's like a one read quarterback. And it's just like that's just someone who needs attention and they want to just say something that's unique. And I, so I, I'm not a huge fan of the pre-draft process for the most part. I like when people break down film and that stuff, but when, you know, you have like the Stephen A. Smith's and the skip Bayless and all those people just throwing things out there for attention. I, that part I don't like, but like the draft itself is exciting because, you know, we watch all these guys grow up in front of our eyes because we're college football guys. And it's nice to see, you know, like their dream become, actually real um you know i think trey lance has the talent to deserve to move up and i think with how the nfl has valued quarterbacks over really every other position i think that's just going to happen as long as quarterbacks are as important as they are you know we see what happens when you have a good quarterback like a mahomes or a brady and then you see what happens when your quarterback is garbage you know like there's a big difference between those two teams and unfortunately that's going to mean that yeah like you said there's going to be quarterbacks that rise up over maybe other players that would be more valuable to the teams that are selected i i would personally agree with that i think with quarterbacks especially in the nfl it's like it's like new cars like everybody just wants the newest shiniest fastest thing so like that doesn't mean it's necessarily better but that's just what always catches everybody's eye and i feel like for like the media profile of the nfl not that it needs to be any bigger but that's why it's been so big for so long is people want to you know put those guys on a pedestal yeah i was just thinking about how i was seeing earlier today about trey lance to the falcons to the falcons that's what everyone is saying now but it doesn't fix the falcons issues on offense the falcons can't block that's their issue but he's getting pushed up as they say well it must be a quarterback issue matt ryan's a good nfl quarterback still so replace him with trey lance and you've got a rookie who's got no one to block for him still i don't see 
why he needs to get pushed up that high. And maybe that's just me wishing he'd fall down to New England or so, because I think he'd be better off there in general, not just because I'm a Patriots fan, but because he'd be behind Cam Newton for a year or so. He'd have a better, I think, a better fit around him. But yeah, he'll get pushed up to the top five or so. And I don't necessarily think he deserves it. But hey, Zach Smith's going to the Jets, and that's good for him. Not really. <laughs> Going to the Jets is good for no one, let's be honest. <laughs> but no, I think that's an interesting point. I, I do think like what you got to think about with a lot of these teams now is everybody's trying to find that like Pat Mahomes type project player where like he backed up um, Alex Smith in Kansas yeah. City for a little bit um, <laughs> before he they officially handed him the reins. So I feel like with Matt Ryan, it seems like they're going to at least keep him through 2022 and then give the reins to somebody else so it seems like maybe they're just trying to get somebody in there now who can kind of learn the organizational procedures and that kind of thing but i i do agree that trey lance being that guy might be a little bit of a stretch but i mean i don't know i don't want to take too much of uh too much away from trey lance just because he was yeah. really fun to watch in north dakota state i like trey lance a lot i just he had one season of actual playing time and it was a great season but it was one season at the FCS level and how much does it translate? How much faster is it, especially after a year off? Well, with exception of one game, but a year off really. I think it has a lot to do with you. We've been hearing about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields for so long, like even to last year, it was all about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So I think people are just kind of get bored with that narrative. So, you know, when a guy steps like, like Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or anybody really just people are like, Oh yeah, let's talk about that. Let's, hype them up because we're sick of talking about these other two. Just quick question. I, I, I hope I don't take up too much of our time for we actually, you know, discuss the topic at hand here, but I'm just really curious, maybe, you know, a quick 30, 45 seconds, everyone's thoughts on Trevor Lawrence's comments. I Burback brought his name up and it just crossed my mind. Um, personally speaking, you know, I, I think way too much was made of the idea that, um, you know, people in general can have <laughs> multifaceted and can have different interests. It doesn't bother me that he doesn't wake up in the morning and is like, you know, every single morning, 24, 7, 365, the passion to win a Super Bowl is not burning inside of him. I think, you know, what matters to me is that the time he's on the clock, he's well prepared. And by all accounts, he seems to be that guy at Clemson. Um, and, and also, you know, the idea I heard this made, heard this point made that because he comes from, you know, a family that has uh, done well for themselves to put that, you know, softly, that football is not his end all be all right. I heard one uh, ESPN analyst, I believe it was Mike Tannenbaum say that uh, uh, he subscribes to the Jimmy Johnson line that he likes kids who it's either football or bus for them. Right. <laughs> you know, and that, that while that fits a certain percentage of the population, um, it also sounds a hell of a lot like the military. And I don't necessarily know how productive that is either. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I think people can be multifaceted. So really, I, I know I throw that out there, but I just, you know, wanted, you know, your guys thoughts. Uh, Lonergan, what's up? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do think there's something to um, what you mentioned about just, you know, the way he came up and, you know, obviously didn't have like a lot of the harder circumstances that a lot of the guys that get this far in, in football do. And maybe that has, you know, a part to play in his psychology. But overall, yeah, I agree with you. Like that mindset of like, my job is the first thing I think about. And I just can't wait to get to work every day. That's so rare across all professions. And I feel like the way that we glorify that mindset in football particularly is not healthy. So, I mean, for, for Trevor Lawrence, like 
he's a young guy, clearly doesn't understand the the politics of like the professional football space yet and maybe shouldn't have said it, but I don't fault him at all for thinking that. You know, like here's the thing. Is anybody going to care if Trevor Lawrence isn't like bursting at the seams to talk about football when he throws an 80-yard bomb on Sundays? Like, did you watch him play at Clemson? Like, whether he loves football or not, like we, we already know that he can play. Like we already know he's talented. We know that his arm's great. Like, I think you're right. I think Joe's right. You got to learn to play the politics, unfortunately, of the NFL. And if, I, I don't personally care if you are like dying for the sport or if you're just very indifferent. I think we've seen, you know, you it really doesn't matter because we've seen people that are both ways become very successful. And we've seen people who are both ways not thrive in the nfl so really if he's coming in if he's studying the film he's studying the playbook and he's making plays on sundays nobody's really gonna care if he's obsessed with the game or not because he's getting the job done and as soon as you win a super bowl like all they care about is that you brought him a ring yeah and i don't know a single gm or scout that knows anything about psychology whether they pretend to or not, they always act like, oh, we I understand what this guy's mindset is like. They don't know anything what they're talking about when it comes to that. They know footwork. They don't know how guys' heads work. At least that's what I think about them. I, I heard the same thing with Josh Rosen when he came out that, oh, he's got other options, so you don't want to draft him. And I thought that was silly then. If you don't want to draft him, it should be for a football reason, not the fact that he could go work at his daddy's law firm or whatever it might have been if this doesn't work out. Uh, but no, they they all want Tom Brady's like super psycho psych. I'm always thinking football all the time. That's all they want. And so yeah, he should have been at least thinking about that if he wanted to get those brownie points. But the Jaguars aren't going to pass on him for a different quarterback just because of it either. Here's a devil's advocate question: Do you think people would have gotten us up in arms about it as they did if he played a position other than quarterback? I I, I can jump in there. I I definitely don't think so i mean i think a lot of leeway is given to running backs or receivers or cornerbacks or positions that are perceived as quote-unquote divas right you know um but yeah i I do think because quarterbacks are considered quote-unquote the ceo of the team that you know you have to cut it's it's so cliche and i hate sports cliches you know maybe because i i I hear a lot of them but um i I don't want to cut your head open and oh there's a football in there right you know i think there's a guy who just finished hosting Jeopardy for the past two weeks is a pretty independent thinker and seems to play the quarterback position pretty well. So um, I, you, you don't have to be, you know, wake up, go to sleep. And guess what? I'm sure there are plenty of quarterbacks who <laughs> ate, drank, and, you know, lived football and were busts, right? So uh, at my, my two cents. This is my last thing I'll, I'll say on the subject, but uh, it reminds me of like Dennis Rodman almost in a very different way, but – you know, then like I think if you watch like the last dance, like Rodman played his role better than anybody else on that team. But once the you know, once the whistle was blown, did not give a damn about basketball. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, was, that's so that's what I was saying. Like it it really doesn't matter because it like you said, it's obviously, you know, I agree, it's not that extreme, at least not yet. Maybe Trevor Lawrence turns into Dennis Rodman 2.0. That would be very interesting. But um it, yeah, like you said, it he he didn't care about the game once once the final whistle blew and nobody really cared about that now it did get a little interesting as we saw but like no one's gonna care as as soon as trevor lawrence throws his first bomb be burning be like oh well he obviously knows what he's doing so we don't really care what he does 
after the game's over. I'm just picturing Trevor Lawrence in a dress now, so we should probably move on. Phenomenal <laughs> segue, Joe. You got us. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, I guess like uh, for me, one of the first G5 names that um, kind of comes to mind when I think like first couple rounds is uh, Zayvon Collins from uh, Tulsa. Had a phenomenal year at linebacker. Uh, Broback, I know you spent some significant time covering him and uh, pointed out, you know, a lot of the good things he was doing throughout the season. Um, you know, where do you see him going? And, you know, do you think he'll realistically go in those first couple of rounds? Well, I think he's definitely, uh, he can definitely be a day one guy if the right team, you know, falls in. And the hard part, I don't like making projections of where people will go because I've filled out like first round ballots or whatever and like for money and with the number of trades that happened in the first round you're lucky if you get half of the picks correct let alone having the same teams pick um you know i've been on him for since he was a freshman and granted tulsa's defense was horrendous for two years but he was making plays in those two years that you know not a lot of other players were making and the fact that he's six six and and can move at the way that he does at 250 pounds 260 pounds you know he, he just does a little bit of everything and that's something that is rare um that you don't see from a guy his size at his position at least so i you know if it's if whoever takes him is really going to be a team that has a need to maybe get some depth by drafting one guy because he's so versatile that he brings a lot to the table where you can play him maybe on the strong side one play and then have him rush the next plays, you know, he brings that versatility that I don't think a lot of players in this draft can. Yeah. You said you don't want to know where to place him. I think he's the second linebacker off the board, or at least he should be the second linebacker off the board after Owusu Koromoa from Notre Dame. I think he's better than Parsons uh, from Penn state. He can play sideline to sideline the way very few linebackers can because of his speed. And he can, he's excellent in zone coverage. He baits quarterbacks into throws the way a safety likes to, and he's, he, fast enough to run it all the way back like a corner can i don't see a reason why you don't take him if you have a need there in the first round i'll jump in here and i'm i'm not gonna go quite as you know high profile as joe did there which obviously nothing wrong with that because saving collins is a hell of a player but uh i will send this one you know i want both your guys opinions but i guess i'll toss it to the fellow ucf knight on the pod here and i apologize again for uh starting off with a knight but uh Marlon Williams, Dan, he's a guy who I think this is a very deep receiver draft. And I think if it were not, if it were a year, like I believe last year, two years ago, it's after the draft, excuse me, run together in my head, um, which was a lighter receiver draft. I think he would be a little higher up on the charts, but you know, anyone who's seen UCF play and follow that program over the past couple of years um, was really behind a much, you know, deeper receiving core, but uh, has all the physical tools. It seemed to be to, to, you know, my so definitely want to get both your guys thoughts uh dan go ahead and take it away yeah i mean there's a couple immediate knocks that the nfl is going to have on him and the first is that he's listed at 511 and that's a generous 511 in the nfl i mean corners are six feet tall you don't want to be starting smaller and then at the ucf pro day he did not test so great in terms of his 40 yard dash time all that he came up a little bit slower but just watch him play I mean, he is so productive. He catches everything within basically uh, like a five-yard radius of him in any direction he can catch. He's almost impossible for corners to tackle. He runs much faster in games than he did on the 40 time. So, yeah, he's a little bit on the smaller side. And, yeah, Heupel had him run the same go route every play, but he can make any play that you need him to. 
maybe he needs a little brushing up, but I think he's a worthwhile pick. I think he's a late round draft pick because of the knocks, but I think he's definitely a worthwhile pick for someone. Building off of that, Dan and I talked about, we kind of did, uh, since we didn't have an AAC podcast last year, we kind of did a little recap of every team. And we talked about how we both felt that Hypel like nearly ruined that program. Like he just put them in a bad position and, like Dan said, there are a lot of times where it's like, Hey, we're going to have the two receivers on the left run full speed. We're going to have them run routes. And then you other two kind of just jog and then wait for scramble drill to go run around. And I don't feel like that put any of their receivers in the best position to succeed. And the fact that Marlon Williams did what he did means that if you get him into a scheme that he can actually do more things and they ask him to do more things, he'll, he'll do a little bit better. I am worried that, you know, his physicality when he, after the catch is probably his biggest strength. Like there's not a, a DB that can hang with him. You know, there are a number of stiff arms that he produced that were just, just really nasty. And I just worry though, that like he will rely on his physicality kind of like Laquan Treadwell did for a while, because I remember like Treadwell, everybody was high in him because they're like, Oh, he's super physical. He's going to win 50, 50 ball situations. And he's going to have, he's going to be really tough to tackle after the catch. And, We've obviously seen that did not work out. Um, I think Marlon Williams is a little bit different than that, but that's maybe my biggest concern with him. But this is a guy who's a competitor. He's not going to back down from a challenge. And the fact that he now actually gets to be in in a position where the coach isn't like giving him 50% of the plays off based off scheme alone is, is really encouraging. If you're looking at him staying in the UCF vein, uh, you know, there's a couple defensive backs um, from the Knights that could potentially get selected in kind of the later rounds, but I want to get uh, everybody's opinion and Eric included, since you watch a lot of UCF football, uh, Aaron Robinson and, and Richie Grant um, cornerback safety uh, combo there. But um, do you guys think they have a shot at, uh, you know, getting noticed on draft day? I'll let the AAC guys go first and I'll chime in after. I think all three of them for sure do. Uh, I think, I think that uh, Robinson's story is crazy because when he, his first game with UCF after transferring from Alabama, he got hurt, like severely hurt. And he got taken off on a stretcher and then didn't play the rest of that year. So that was crazy. I just remember that. And whenever I hear his name, that's the first thing I think about, but he's obviously molded himself into this great player, you know, especially because he played in the slot for most of the year. And that's not exactly the easiest position to thrive at. So the fact that he's doing what he's doing is very encouraging. Take Allen obviously sat out the entire year last year. So we're not sure what he's going to get, but that also makes him a little bit of a sleeper. And then I think anybody that's covered the AAC for a while has had Richie Grant high on their list. Uh, he's just, he's not afraid to make any tackle. He's, he's going to put in the work off the field too. He's a good overall person. And I think you really can't miss if you draft him. Yeah. I, I love Richie Grant. I think he plays a little bit like Patrick Chung on the Patriots does, or at least has that same look when he's playing, but he attacks the ball incredibly well when it's in the air, he comes downhill. He's a big, strong tackler. I think he can play a little bit of corner if you really needed him to, Obviously, safety is his main position. I think he's going to get drafted a lot higher than a lot of people might uh, otherwise think. Is He's got a lot of value to him there. And then, yeah, Robinson, the modern game, you need to have three corners on the field at all time, and he provides a lot of value there for someone. Uh, again, he's a nice physical corner. He's good in man coverage. And, uh, yeah, Gowan, he's going to suffer from an issue that a lot of guys suffer with this year. And, what do we make out of a guy who just missed a year of playing? 
Is he going to be a more of a project now? Did he develop over that year? There's these questions that you really have a hard time to answer, but I think athletically he could be a solid NFL corner. It's just uh, how big of a project is he going to be after missing a year and really only playing one year at UCF? I'll uh, piggyback up, you know, or piggyback up, excuse me, where where those guys left off. And definitely with Gowan, I think, you know, Dan hit the nail on the head. That's going to be a very interesting point to see where he leaves off after missing an entire year. I, I was definitely surprised, to be honest, that he he opted out. And, you know, maybe Dan can refresh my memory. Um, yeah. Go, go ahead, Dan. Yeah. He had just had a kid right before the season started, and he didn't want to put his kid at risk with the virus, so he decided. Hey, to I had a kid out. before the season started, and I was there all season, so I don't want to <laughs> yeah. hear it. <laughs> no, Dan, thanks. I, 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 um, I didn't want to speak out of turn. I, I just couldn't remember exactly if that's what it was. So, uh, so thanks for you know filling the gaps there. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, hey, uh, Broback, appreciate you playing, uh, playing hurt or you know, toughing <laughs> out the uh, the pandemic. You know, yes, underdog the sacrifices dynasty and, I made it staying at my house and not doing anything. <laughs> underdog dynasty and the uh, you know the people who hit us up appreciate your contributions as always, Broback. Thanks for uh, playing hurt. Uh, gift bag is in the mail. Uh, I don't know if it's gonna be one of those that uh that Derek Jeter leaves his. Uh, Lonergan, save me. Say something. I, I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble again. Our gift bag is like a toothbrush and like <laughs> like a bottle of Fireball with like a quarter of the bottle left. Like, <laughs> that's do, do, you, do you see why we tried to prep these podcasts and not just let us spitball? Because then I, I eventually will get us in trouble. Uh, I will pick up the, the last part there. Um, <laughs> but no, I think that'll be interesting with Tay Gown. I think both both defensive backs have a real good shot. And it's really interesting. UCF, um, even, you know, I graduated in 2015. You can go back to, you know, guys like, um, you know, um, I'm having a brain fart right now. Kid, uh, Jacoby Glenn, uh, I think yeah. he was, was with uh, Chicago Bears. Guys he like that, you know, really Joe, Joe Burnett. What, was that, um, Dan? I was saying Glenn came out too young, I thought. He was only he, a redshirt ab- sophomore. A- absolutely. Left too early. But the point, the bigger point I was going to make is UCF's really developed reputation as DBU. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. it's was something that we used to joke around about even back in the, you know, 2013 2014 years but uh in this latest group our latest you know kind of block of success for UCF they've really produced a lot of great DBs and these two are no exception it's interesting when you talk about those guys that you know take a year off and then try to go to the NFL for for whatever reason and I'm sure there's plenty of examples you can point to where it that didn't work or it ended up being too big of an undertaking for a team but then there are examples like Tyron Matthew, like he missed his final season of, of college eligibility and sat out for like a year and came back and he's, he's played extremely well in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I agree. That's going to be interesting to see what they can do uh, in that category. Um, you know, I guess for, for the American guys, like who are you, are you thinking that uh, could get selected that maybe other outlets are maybe like not giving enough love to, or, you know, anything like that. I'll go first just because I know Kenny Gainwell is high on my list of guys that another guy who sat out this year that I think that kind of is hurting him in the eyes of the media. But this is a guy who fits the NFL perfectly because he's not just a back that can catch passes out of the backfield like Memphis lined him up at wide receiver and he thrived out there. You could put him at wide receiver. You could put him at running back. He can do anything that you ask of him. 
And I think that a lot of people are really, I mean, he's still pretty highly rated by everybody that I've seen, but I think that his skill set fits in the NFL better than a lot of people realize. Yeah. I thought Gainwell always reminded me of a Theo Riddick type player who was with the Lions for a number of years there. I think that's the kind of role that someone will need to find from where they put him in on special teams and find a way to get him touches in games, not just, you know, hand him the ball and a zone read off and it just won't work that long. I was also thinking Blake Prohl, the wide receiver from ECU. He was a surprise coming out, but he was incredibly productive on a pretty bad Pirates team for his entire time there. He is incredibly strong as a route runner. He gets open on almost every single play. If it's a scramble drill, he finds a spot open. He knows where he is on the field at all times. He never drops the football. Some questions about his speed and strength at the next level, but he ran a pretty good 4-4-9 at the pro day. So I think he will be a steal for someone in the later rounds. I do. I can see that. Have any of you guys watched a lot of film on Dwayne Eskridge from uh, Western Michigan? Uh, I think he could be a third or fourth round pick, one of the better receivers in the G5 this year. Uh, I know we don't really have a Mac expert, but wanted to toss that out. No, one of the things, I I didn't have a chance to see a ton of him like live, Joe, but his name just popped up because uh, just very randomly, uh, a good friend of mine played football at Western Michigan. It was a receiver there. Uh, about four or five years ago, I was like, hey, uh, this guy, you know, I played with Corey Davis, and, and this guy, I think, has has the ability to be, you know, kind of that similar type of, uh, of player. Not in terms of, you know, like, exact build, but just in terms of being an NFL talent. So, checked him out, and no, um, definitely think he has a legit chance. I, the, I'll kind of liken it to Marlon Williams in the sense that it's just a really deep receiver draft. So, I think, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think there's going to be a handful of guys who maybe would be day I, I keep forgetting it day one that was just the first round but day two picks um that are going to slide into that day three range and then you know once you start getting in that day three range and maybe you not might not prioritize a receiver you might feel that especially when talking about college receivers and i think this is really pivotal pivotal tries again who's the one who's uh playing her here pivotal is once you start getting that day three range you're going to have to play special teams right and not a lot of these guys who are stars uh, you know especially out of uh, western michigan you're not playing a lot of special teams, right? So I think that could be one of the things, not only for a guy like him, but a lot of those receivers who are going to come, you know, who, who may have been the number one or number two option on their college team, we're going to slide into day three and may have to, you know, pick up special teams really quickly. So, um, but yeah, that's, a, I've definitely seen him. And, and I think he would be a guy in any other draft who would be getting a lot more buzz otherwise. Yeah, I've seen his name pop up a lot on social media. A lot of analysts are just you know, they're throwing his name out as a guy who uh, is, really popular for a lot of a lot of teams they like him and like his skill set and yeah i think i haven't watched him personally but i've just seen his name pop up like everywhere one last question that i, I had for the american guys and then eric i don't know if you had any uh other ones before we jump into some cosa talk but uh the cincinnati bearcats have had a good streak the last few years with uh getting some guys selected pretty high in the NFL draft. Um, any prospects from that squad this year that you think uh, people should be listening for on draft day? I think Derek Forrest is probably the one that won't get as much love as, you know, James Wiggins is probably the top guy on that defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. That's going to get a lot of love. He, you know, he does a lot of things for him or did a lot of things for him. The question with him is going to be his health. He'd battled the injuries a lot throughout his career, but Derek Forrest is a guy who they, pretty much just said, Hey, we're going to line you up everywhere. And we know that you'll be successful wherever you go. Uh, so those two guys are obviously the big ones. I think next year though, when you have Ahmad Garner and Kobe Bryant and uh, Arquan Bush, 
even Javon Hicks and Brian Cook, I just named the entire secondary, I guess. But so the entire secondary next year, I think, is going to be maybe even more impressive. I think Gardner is a stud. I think he's going to get first round attention. So that's obviously for next year's preview. But, and, you know, if you have a reason, if you want a reason to come back for next year, wait to hear about Ahmad Gardner. Yeah, I also really like James Hudson, the left tackle who uh, came out. He, how did his game end against the Peach Bowl? He was ejected for targeting, I believe. And then they had some issues after that. But he's a really great, good-sized athletic tackle, good balance. I think he's probably a day-two pick. Uh, I also like Gerald White, who's a hot kind of one of those hybrid linebacker types. Reminds you of Isaiah Simmons, incredibly fast, undersized. But I think he'll be... I think it's probably an undrafted guy because of his size, but I think it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because I think he can push a roster as well. Joe, I don't have anyone else. Dan hit on the guy that I was thinking that was James Hudson. He just like his size at six five, six six. I think it's three ten, three fifteen. So definitely got that NFL size. Um, and you know, I, I don't know um, personally because you know I'm not going to pretend to be an online expert, but just from what I saw, I think projects well as a right tackle. Uh, kind of that like road grader type right tackle. Um, so Dan kind of touched on the guy I, I would uh, ask about. It's going to be another fruitful year for the uh, Bearcats, it seems. Um, Eric, any other American related questions before we jump into CUSA stuff? No, we can. Eric, bring Eric I, got, I got one for you. So yes, Dan and I talked about this last last week. Um, Jacob Harris. So we obviously oh, yeah. know what what he did at his pro at the pro day. He obviously was very impressive in the pro day. I'm not going to take anything away from you. What do you think of him? So I'm going to sound repetitive here, but a reason why I like Jacob Harris more than I may like some of the other late round kind of fringe receivers is because he wasn't a number one receiver at UCF, right? He has the ability to go out just based on his sheer athleticism alone. I mean, those numbers were off the charts and, you know, Dan can speak that as well. But if you've watched UCF play, you know he's done a variety of things. I, I'm 99.9% sure. It might have been this year, but last year I know I've seen him contribute as a gunner on, on special teams. Um, you know, I, I think he's a guy who, even if it's not as a receiver immediately, will find a way to just kind of stick with an NFL roster just based on his athleticism alone. And then, you know, like I, I truly am, like I'm not trying to sound repetitive here, but I think because he wasn't that number one guy, um, I'll give you an example. There was a, I'm having a, just a complete brain fart here. Broback, who was the ECU receiver um, uh, not the past two years, but before that? Uh, Zay uh, Jones? Not Zay Jones, right before Zay Jones. Justin Hardy, Justin Hardy, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, a guy who, you know, was caught a ton of balls and didn't really have a successful NFL career come. I remember he got to, you know, which team it was, and you got to play special teams, right? So I think if you're that guy like Jacob Harris, who you're not necessarily the number one or number two or number three option, but you kind of show that ability. I, I think it'll help a lot. That's just my POV. Yeah, he's definitely going to – I mean, if he if he finds a role in special teams, he'll be successful. And the thing with him is, like, he was open a lot, like, even yeah. as, as not the number one guy. But the biggest thing is, like, I can catch a football better than Jacob Harris can. And that's that's saying something like he just stole he was wide open and I, maybe it was just because he like overthought it. It was just like, hey, I'm so wide open. And then he just just panicked at the last second. But he dropped so many passes last year that I'm just like, you know what? If he can figure that out, he's going to be he's going to be fun to watch. But right now, he reminds me of if you remember Troy Williamson out of South Carolina, yeah, dude who yeah, could get yeah. open over anybody but could not catch a football to save his life. Um, 
Yeah, I agree. Harris really is impressive as like just just as an athlete, but in terms of as a receiver, there's some things that he's going to have to work on if he's going to be a receiver in the NFL. Yeah, I also think he's got an issue tracking balls over his head at times where he looked a little bit like he lost them in the lights or just didn't know where if it was going long or shorter, and that's where part of his issue with his hands are is he doesn't 100% know the trajectory of the ball on his way, and that's an experience thing. He's not a long-term football player the way a lot of guys are, but he does have an issue with his hands, and if you drop a couple key balls, you're not going to make the team in the NFL. You just aren't. Uh, so he's got to figure that out quick before he gets to camp. As far as the draft goes, it's not the biggest class of CUSA prospects they've ever had. Um, one name that I think might be a decent mid-round pick for for somebody is Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech. Uh, was an all-conference uh, defensive tackle this past season. And when you look at his complete body of work in college, he's just somebody that played right away and got better and better and better as his career went on. So he's clearly like still getting better still has room to develop he's going to get stronger he's gonna you know adjust to a new system obviously but you know at 6'3 284 pounds with you know almost a 32 inch wingspan like he'll find a decent home um and you know the just the way that this guy grew as a football player over the course of his college career you know has me really excited i i, I think he'll be the highest guy selected from cusa personally what really jumped off the charts for me, uh, Joe and Dan, Joe Broback and Dan, are his athletic numbers. He ran a 4.64, 40. Uh, we had Corey Diaz, who beat Ryder. Yeah, that's how Broback's eyes just jumped out at, at 6.162, ran a 4.64. Uh, we had Corey Diaz, Louisiana Tech beat Ryder, the new star down there in, uh, in Russell on, uh, it was last week, and uh, gave us the numbers. So 4.64, uh, also put up with 36 reps on the bench press so in terms of just sheer size and athleticism and, and joe when it broke back when i tell you this we weren't expecting those numbers i mean we knew milton, milton williams was a nice player but when he put up those numbers that's what really caught my eye i was like whoa and the thing is with conference usa defensive alignment for whatever reason they almost tend to be late bloomers as a whole i mean sure you kind of know about Jalen Ferguson was drafted by baltimore and then marcus davenport you know first round pick of utsa but i'll give you a guy like FIU, former FIU defensive tackle, Tier Tart, who, for one reason or another, I don't know if it was just a defensive line rotation or whatever it might have been, but never put up great numbers. And it was an undrafted guy and then stuck with Tennessee and was a starter down the stretch for them uh, this past year. And one last thing, and you kind of to Joe Lonergan's point is why CUSA might not have as many draft prospects that, you know, kind of jump out. CUSA had the most games out of any conference that was canceled. Um, for whatever reason, Conference USA struggled with COVID more than <laughs> any other conference. So I'm, I'm sure the lack of games did not help. But yeah, just give a little background on, on Milton Williams. Uh, Joe Longer, did you have you know, some other guys you want to talk about? Or do you want me to just go, go trade off one and one, one and one? Um, you know, I I can kind of go through some of mine because I know we had a lot of yeah. the same thoughts. Um, Jalen Darden from North Texas. Um, I think he'll be a later round pick. But when you go back and, you know, think about what he accomplished in college, Eric, there were so many games over the last two years where we described that game as the Jalen Darden show. Like <laughs> he he looked like he looked like a, a grown man playing with children at times. He was that good against some of the competition that he faced. Obviously, moving into the NFL, he's going to have a lot tougher competition, but um, you know, the, he, he's proven that he has all the tools and, you know, I feel like as a receiver, 
uh, you know, if you can make it work in Seth Luttrell's system, then you're going to, you know, find a home in the NFL. And you, if you really excel, that is. But that's my thoughts on Jalen Darden. I'll just add one quick thing. You know, the guy's uh, background Darden as well. He is a smaller receiver. I think that's going to be a thing that may hurt him, but also could work to his advantage. He could be a slot guy. I definitely think he can be a slot guy. He's also done a little bit of returning as well. But to piggyback off what Joe Lonergan said, there were a myriad of times this year in which I said that, you know, because the conference was his quarterback struggles, that the second or third best quarterback in CUSA was whoever is throwing to Jalen Darden. Because quite frankly, that, that's indicative of the quarterback struggles in CUSA, but it's also how good he was this past year. Does he remind you guys of Richie James, kind of what he did for Middle Tennessee? Yeah, I'll, I'll say yeah. Good. yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see him find a home in the NFL in some way, shape, or form. Um, and then, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense when we're talking about the, the champs of the conference, but they have a few guys I think that'll be uh, late-round pickups, and they're names that um, people that have followed CUSA football closely for the next uh, – for the last couple of years, rather, uh, will be familiar with. Um, looking at UAB, guys like uh, Spencer Brown at running back, Austin Watkins Jr. at receiver, uh, and then you got Jordan Smith on, as an edge rusher. You know, um, with, with Spencer Brown in particular, um, you know, I think there's some size concerns maybe, um, and plus, like, he, he has kind of battled some injuries throughout his college career, so that maybe there might be some durability issues there for the long run, but I feel like you can say that about half the running backs in pro football at this point. Um but I do think if someone kind of gives them a chance, then they'll get a decent, you know, second or third option running back there. Yeah, you know, I'll piggyback off what Joe said about Spencer Brown. I honestly have the same concerns about him size-wise. I kind of have those more concerns about Brendan Knox because <laughs> Joe Lunder, you'll find this funny. They list Knox and Brown both at six foot two twenty. Um, both of those two guys are not the same size. <laughs> Spencer Brown is is a, is a, a thick big man he's probably about six foot 225 uh brendan knox thick but close to five nine ish five ten i mean i've i haven't seen brown play live i've seen uh knox play live knox is, is smaller than spencer brown um you mentioned austin Watkins. uab is known for having guys who are going to you know stretch the field if you go back to the kid who's with um philadelphia right now oh come on uh, sorry that's the wrong school it's quest Watkins is with philly um I swear the UAB receiver I'm missing right now, but nevertheless, uh, UAB, in terms of their offense, it's very much boom or bust. Uh, their receivers tend to average in excess of 18, 19, 20 yards per catch. So their guys are going to get down the field uh, and make plays. And Jordan Smith, I think this is the name that both of you guys should pay attention to. 6'7", 255, 260, and played in an NFL-style defense because UAB, first off, Bill Clark does a phenomenal job with defensive football overall, but they play a hybrid 3-4-4-3. So he's going to have the versatility of being an edge rusher and also kind of having that linebacker experience as well. And a little background on him, he was uh, a former Florida Gator, started his career at UF, and then you know kind of ran into some issues and ended up at UAB. So if you're talking about in terms of sheer talent, he's not that type of, you know, G5 sleeper who ends up at UAB. The guy had P5 talent, so I absolutely would, would – um keep an eye out on him as well. Um, one name who I, I will, before I toss it back to Joe Lonergan, a name that I uh, think is really interesting to keep an eye on is Robert Jones from Middle Tennessee. He was a player this past year. His performance this year didn't really match up to 2019. And of course, you could, again, the COVID issues with, with this Conference USA may have, um, um, you know, 
affected that. And it, you can do your own research on Middle Tennessee. They had a ton of issues uh, surrounding that subject. But in 2019, he didn't allow a sack and played every single snap for Middle Tennessee. And, and if, if you know anything about, you know, the Blue Raiders over the past few years, the reason why I think that not allowing a sack is important is because they played with scrambling quarterbacks. You can look at Russell Wilson. Scrambling quarterbacks tend to get sacked more because they're going to break the pocket, right? It makes it a little bit easier for those defensive ends to break off and kind of get to the quarterback. Robert Jones, every snap, did not give up a sack. A uh, former basketball player as well. So he's kind of got that good, good footwork, athleticism. I think he is a solid right tackle prospect uh, in terms of the NFL. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think MTSU has had a a decent streak of NFL guys uh, come out the last couple of years. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, And I think Marshall's got some decent guys in that category too this year, right? Uh, In terms of offensive line? Uh, I mean, they got one or two on the offensive. They have one or two on the offensive line, but I was speaking more just in general, but wherever you want to jump off there. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I misunderstood you. I thought you were saying uh, um, offensive line. No. Uh, Tomate Beckett, he is a guy who – he. I don't know how you guys feel about this. You know, I kind of want to give Dan and Joe, even though you might not be familiar with the name, Dan and Joe Broback, might be familiar with the name. Just get your thoughts on this. He reminds me of kind of the new age linebacker now. You know, someone who is going to be that – what they call, you know, a college at star position. Someone who can be uh, a nickel corner, can be a, a safety, a linebacker. Uh, Tavante Beckett at what five? Go longer when you say five ten, and that's being generous. So maybe five nine ish, <laughs> uh, 215, 220 pounds. Led CUSA in tackles like one hundred twenty five tackles, and played inside at linebacker. He was not a guy who they, you know shifted around much so he at least has those linebacker instincts but i think at the next level he can kind of have that versatility um i think that's really interesting so i you know i know you guys might not be familiar with the name but just your thoughts on maybe a, those kind of hybrid linebacker safeties we can you know at, how they project at the next level I, I mean i watched him coming into this year um did he, okay here's my question did he play with the neck plate this year or did he get rid of that he played with the neck plate this year, yeah. Okay, so yeah. one, you got to keep the neck plate. Don't care where you're playing. Keep the neck plate wherever you're playing because I, I instantly you'll be my favorite player. But, yeah, when I watched him, the first thing you notice is that, like, it players who, who just fly around the field and, like, they, they're they like a coach's dream, right? You know, you hear coaches say, like, I would rather you make a mistake at 100 miles an hour than to second guess and just stand there and look stupid. And Tavante Beckett doesn't ever take a playoff, and there's a lot – guys that are like that but he is just he makes the plays you like like you said he brings a versatility because he does have the speed to move out towards the slot and cover those guys um and you know you're right he's not built to be an inside guy so i think he's gonna have to be the versatile player that i think a lot of people are gonna project him to be yeah and you do need that type of versatility now to play especially like an outside linebacker position in the nfl because there's just so much more passing than there ever used to be. You have to be able to flex out and cover a wide receiver. You have to be able to cover a tight end who now tight ends really aren't what they used to be. They're not blockers first. They're receivers first. They're just six foot six receivers first. So you need to be able to, unfortunately for him, you need to blend size and speed usually in those roles. That's why uh, I like Zayvon Collins so much just because he can do that over on the American side of things. Uh, but yeah, every draft now you're going to see an Isaiah Simmons type player get drafted really high, even though all the scouts go, we don't really know what position he plays. We just know that we need him. 
Joe Long, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one more guy if I didn't mention FIU guy because, of course, I you know covered the program uh, pretty closely and was at their pro day. Uh, De'Anthony Demery is a guy at left tackle who's interesting to watch. Former Georgia Bulldog was a commit there and then uh, ran into some issues at Georgia, so went Hutchinson Community College and then FIU. 6'6", 3'10", got the prototypical size. His O-line coach, Joel Rodriguez, who's in some time fell as well, former Miami Hurricane, said, you know, we really think he has a shot. Um, and I don't think, you know, J-Rod was saying that just to, you know, boost up his own guy. Here's the thing that did shock me, and the reason I bring this up, because uh, this is something all you guys can opine on. Um, if I say a guy is 6'6", 315, and playing left tackle, just, you know, round table, Joe Lonergan, bench press reps, what are you thinking? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say 35. All right, Joe Broback. All right, I was going to say about, yeah, 35, 35 to 37 there. Dan? Yeah, I'd say you have to be at least 30 plus. You can't be below that at all. How about 12? Ooh, what? That's... That was my reaction to. That was a, De'Antoni Demery is a massive human being. Um, and, and to be fair to them, he never looked like he was not physically able to manhandle the man in front of him. But when he said that number, I asked him, I was, you know, I was asking the guys that came off the field, you know, Hey, you get some of your numbers, blah, blah, blah. And, and Dan said, I thought I did 12 on the bench. And I, I, I had to ask him, the guys, you say 12 or 22. Uh, he, he did 12. So I, I asked around one of the due diligence. I asked Jay Rodriguez, his online coach, Paul Rodriguez. And uh, he said, Hey, you know, O-line play, it's, it's, a lot of, it's not necessarily always about sheer strength. You know, a lot of guys do 40 reps and, you know, can't translate that to the field. And I think that's fair. I think it's a fair, you know, answer. But 12 reps, that's going to hurt him. Yeah. So I still think he's a guy who um, may land in a camp, but if he put up a much better number, his play on the field and his sheer upside would have possibly got him a late, you know, seventh-round pick. But 12 reps, uh, not. Okay, here, here's my question with that. Like, there's no way that he went into pro day thinking like, Oh, I, I can get way more than 12. Like he knew he could get 12 reps. Like there's no way you went in unless he was hurt. Like, obviously that's, that's very excusable. But like, if you know that you, you suck at something, well, now don't get me wrong, doing 225, 12 times. Like I cannot do 225, 12 times. Okay. So not like saying that's that bad, but like in terms of NFL standards, like if you know, you're going to struggle at an event, like, why would you do that? Why would you put yourself in that position? Like, why wouldn't you just leave it up for the scouts to say like, oh, we don't know if he's strong or not. Let's just assume he is then. Because now interesting. the people know. Right. It's interesting, uh, Joe Groback, because he did get hurt. Uh, I want to say it was the second or third game of the season. I can't remember which, but it was not an upper body injury. It was uh, an ACL, if members could be correct. So, you know, still just off the top, you would think he can do 12 bench press reps so i mean uh, again I, I will i will take into account what they say about you know that number not being everything but that's just a shockingly low number well goes back to what we were talking about trevor lawrence you got to play the politics of it you know like if you know you're not good at it then just keep that off the record sorry dan i cut you off <laughs> no i was just gonna say wasn't there a lineman from oklahoma a few years ago who had a really awful bench and he was supposed to be the best lineman in the draft was it orlando brown Orlando yeah, yeah, so, I mean, it's not like linemen have never had dud of a number before on the bench. It, you know, maybe it's just not your day. But at the same time, it's just a shockingly low number. If you're a, a fringe draftable guy, you, it's going to knock you out. 
yeah, Dan Morrison dealt the last one I was going to say. I mean, it's one thing to be Orlando Brown. It's nothing to be, you know, you need a great pro day to really kind of boost yourself up. And, uh, and that certainly didn't do it. But you know, he's, he's a name I still say, will say to keep an eye on just because his play on the field did at least warrant um, NFL potential. So, Joe Lonergan. I really like to imagine he just came off of the bench after doing 12 reps and was just like, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd say. I'd be crying like, with the bar on my neck. It's fine. <laughs> Eric would just be warming up so we can all just for not pretend we're in his category. So. <laughs> no comment. No comment at all on that one. <laughs> Do you not just go to practices and like challenge the players to like bench press competitions? Yeah, really. He was getting interviews, but really he went right after and he's like, you only got 12, watch this. And then just cranked out 40. I, 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 coach. I, I have just like, once a year you interview for the assistant strength coach down there in Miami. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I was going to say, I have a, I, I won't name the assistant, but I, I have a, a long standing. I think it's two, probably three years now. A long-standing, a long-running bet with assistant coach that uh, you know, whenever he wants to, uh, you know, challenge me on the bench press, we can make it happen, and you know, we'll donate some money for charity. But obviously, COVID, you know, nixed that this year because you know you can't really be around anybody. But uh, eventually, you know, that unnamed assistant will will get that going. I feel like assistant strength coach usually gets designated to get back coach, right? Like the guy that stands on the sideline and no, yeah, oh, no, I'm agreement. I was in agreement. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the guy on the sideline. That's like, get back. <laughs> um, but I think that kind of wraps up the CUSA talk. Um, as far as Sunbelt guys, there's not very many, uh, one or two from app state that, uh, might get selected in there uh, from their defensive back core in particular. Um, but anything else, uh, as far as Sunbelt that you guys want to touch on? No, I think Louisiana is returning just about everybody in their, they're one of the teams I think next year is going to have a few guys in the draft, but uh, Coastal Carolina is real young for the most part. I think Merritt plays in the draft and someone off the defense, but I'm forgetting the guy's name, so it's useful uh, information here, but I don't know that any of them are anyone who's going to be shooting up any draft board. So. I think next year is going to be loaded, mostly because I think a lot of guys are returning because they're allowed mm-hmm. to do that, and this year was just so weird, but I think next year really just around the country, but also with the conferences we cover, I think it's going to be a loaded group. The only guy that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, Jonathan Adams Jr. from Arkansas State. I had a chance to see him uh, two years ago when they played against FIU in the bowl game. But, again, it's another receiver. So, I mean, that's that's a borderline guy. I mean, yeah, Arkansas State has really good success with Omar Bayless um, with Carolina. But, yeah, I think that's, that's very fringe at best. Uh, there was one more prospect on this list that I wanted to get, get you guys' uh, take on. Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater um, projected to be a late round pick uh, kind of a center guard hybrid type player. But this guy is so thick. <laughs> He's uh <laughs> six, three and a quarter, 325 or 320 pounds, 82 inch wingspan. His hands, his hand size is 10 and a quarter. Like, bro back you're from that part of the country like what are they feeding these these dudes well so uw whitewater for those of you who don't follow division three football which shame on you if you are one of those people but um wisconsin doesn't have they have the university of wisconsin that everybody knows they don't have any d2 programs 
So if you're going to play in Wisconsin for college, you're playing D1 or D3. And UW-Whitewater, for anybody that doesn't know, has been one of the powerhouses in Division Three football for years. Like when I was at school there, you know, they, they would eat in our cafeteria. And like these dudes looked different than D3 guys. And it's mostly because the, if you're if you're good and you play football in Wisconsin, you go to Whitewater. And you know, Lance Leipold, the Buffalo coach came from there and he built a dynasty there and obviously moved on, but they're just, they're just different. Uh, and it's not really a surprise to see him competing at this level. Uh, I think it's more of a surprise that we haven't seen more guys from the whitewaters, the Mount unions do a little bit better and do what he's doing. Uh, like when you say they used your cafeteria, was there anything left for you after they used it? Or oh, like... I got there before them, so don't worry. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's just like it's just a different breed, and like you, I knew the football players at you know at my school too, and I know what they look like. And these guys walked in, and I'm like, okay, is this like the Badgers team, but they're wearing whitewater gear? Or what? Like it was just a completely different breed of athlete. It's just like, well, I'm not going to the game because we're gonna lose fifty nine nothing, so it's a waste of my time. Yeah. Um... So, I mean, that guy, he's, I feel like he's definitely going to at least find, if nothing else, a UDFA deal based on how he performed at the senior bowl practices and, and everything like that. Plus just like, like, look, like, look at the guy, like Google his name and tell me that's like not a, a pro football player. Like that's so that's crazy to me. Uh, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, the guy who he kind of reminds me of, and I'm only saying this is the only real comparison that I feel equipped to make. Uh, Broback, remember uh, Ali Marpet when, when he came out, uh, I believe it was D3 as well, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer guard. Uh, I wish I could remember which D3 school he came from off the top of my head. Um, but I remember Ali Marpet like having kind of some of this kid, like just massive size, and he looked so much bigger than everyone else out there. It kind of looked like, all right, that guy. I think he can play the next level. So I, I would. Uh, that's my contribution to, <laughs> to this portion of the podcast. Because <laughs> he can play guard or center, he offers a good versatility that a lot of teams are going to look for in a backup lineman, especially right away where in case someone goes down, he can jump in where he needs to go. And centers themselves are highly valuable because they need to be able to see the whole field and call out pass protection. So there's a lot of value to him there. Look at that insight. Take that, Todd McShay. <laughs> Um, well, thank you all so much uh, for listening to another NFL Draft Mega episode of the Underdog Podcast. Uh, if you want to follow each of us on Twitter, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Uh, Dan is Dan underscore Morrison 96. And then uh, Joe Broback is just at Joe Broback because he's not creative. Uh, but with that, uh, I'll tell you, also follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter and keep checking out UnderdogDynasty.com every day for more G5 football content throughout the summer and beyond. Big things coming in 2021. All right, take it easy, everybody. Happy football watching. 